Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. You're listening to Concord Matters. It is Tuesday afternoon here on Worldwide KFU, and that means it's time to be of one mind in our Lord Jesus Christ, believing that when he speaks, he speaks words we can not only hear, but understand and confess. Same say, speak again, give our amen to, and change the world while doing so, by letting people know about who Jesus is and what he's done. We do that on Tuesday afternoons by looking at the Book of Harmony, the Book of Concord, looking at the Augsburg Confessions Apology these last few weeks. My name is Pastor Jonathan Fisk. I'm in studio with Pastor Peter Ill of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois. He is angelic in all of his dogmatic assertions. And Mr. Peter Slayton, subtle as the voice of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, sort of. Sort of. On the internet. <laughs> on the it's, internet. This, the responsibility is scary sometimes. Yeah, right. Yes. But managing all the social media for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And you might be missing the unanswerable Pastor Sean Smith, but his bride-to-be, is it today? Is it tomorrow? Was it this? It's later this week, I think. Later this week. I believe it's Saturday. So his, yes. his currently fiance, soon-to-be bride, she is not missing him as he is out west um, getting hitched, as the old-timers once upon a time would say. We're picking up at paragraph 47 of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 4, 5, 6. However you want to count it, doesn't matter. There's a 3 in there on my version, too. <laughs> yes. It gets <laughs> kind of awkward. 3. I think technically it's all Article 4. We've talked about this, but it, it does. they kind of answer a bunch of different stuff, and as a result, it is quite a long article. We've been in it for some time. We'll see what we can burn through today. But we left off. We were having such a good conversation last week, guys, I thought. But we were talking about Romans 7. And when do you not have a good conversation on Romans 7? When you think that it's past tense and it doesn't actually apply to your life now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, was that a rhetorical oh, question? I think, well... I'm having a hard time I, answering I got rhetorical to, questions. Bill thought it was as he shrugged his <laughs> no, answer at me. I, uh, last week, I was I got to be pastor on Tuesday afternoon, which meant that I didn't get to be on KFUO. Um, and Hence, I would have traded it for the world. So you're talking about this wonderful conversation, and I look like a deer in the remember? headlights. Remember? Remember, Peter? Remember? I, I'm afraid I don't. I thought I thought if I threw Romans 7 to any Lutheran pastor, he could talk for at least an hour and a half. Oh, I probably can't. Can I just won't? <laughs> okay, I gotcha. Well, it was yeah. We talked. I mean, it was about the. Mm, can I use this language? The simul justus et peccator nature of our faith and its struggle and the need for confidence and certainty that comes from outside of us, which is what justification gives, so that we can fight against the flesh, which is still there with us all the time. And and they're using this as a proof text. Actually, we're gonna we're diving into quite a bit more proof text here. But the section is also this great language, lex sempra. Accusat, right? The yeah, yeah. The law Ooh, yeah. always accuses, and dealing with all of that, so plenty there. And we're really paragraph forty-seven is in the middle of what at least the editors to the uh, the readers edition from Concordia Publishing House do put as one longer paragraph because it doesn't really break up here. It continues to give proof texts uh, to everything else. Are you tweeting a picture? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> I was going to no, do no, that see, today. Pastor Sean is usually the one who has the selfie stick and takes a picture of us, but he's not here, and I don't know how to admit, take a selfie. So, 
I don't know if we should tell the world that he named his selfie stick or not. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. So paragraph 47, he, he's continuing to prove, and he goes into Romans 7 as the proof that the law is always with us as an accuser, right? <laughs> and so Paul says, For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And likewise... I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Here he openly declares that he serves the law of sin, right? And so we know the law is going to accuse us because we always still have sin. And until the day that we are freed from sinning, which is the last day, something to look forward to, the law, as much as it can still do a very proper work of guiding us in the way that we should go, it is going to accuse us no matter what we do. And there's just no way around that. And forgetting that is folly. Now that phrase there where where Luther or sorry, Melanchthon says of Paul, here he openly declares that he serves the law of sin. I just reading that I would think it would be very easy to misunderstand For sure. what he's actually saying. Is this is is Melanchthon saying that Paul like revels in his sin that he's what what help unpack this a little bit here because that's kind of a really confusing way of talking I would think what you is could, this law of sin you could hear it that way you know it would make it a lot easier to, to unpack that would we have two pastors involved in the conversation instead of <laughs> one involved and the other one playing <laughs> on his phone <laughs> No one can see, but I'm going to out you, brother. Oh, no. <laughs> Pastor Fisk, you asked for a picture. I did oh, ask for a picture. there we go. <laughs> I can only do one thing at a time. He has to find our Twitter handles now, so it's taking him a while to look those up. <laughs> I, fa- I found Pastor Fisk. I'm still looking for yours. We'll get it in a second. <laughs> um, okay, so, because I think it's an incredible point, and I would like to hear your, your thoughts on this point. Again, when Paul says, I serve the law of sin, you could, wait. Paul is saying, I willingly revel in my sin. Is that what that's getting at there? It's kind of what it sounds like. It's, it is what it sounds like. But I think when you take a good, thorough look at it, and this is where, Pastor Fisk, when you spoke before about the simul justus et peccator, that mm. is, the at the same time, the simultaneously sinner and saint, how often does our sinner revel in sin. Mm. My sinner does all Constantly. the time. And yeah. I uh, I know my sinner loves to go on sin binges. Um, oh, this isn't so bad. You can stop anytime you want those to. those like Netflix binges? Like, um, Yeah. <laughs> but much worse. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and much like a Netflix binge, apparently, they, they don't stop when you think they're going to. <laughs> yeah, and the next you thing go. you know, um, you find yourself surrounded and inundated by your sin, and you look there and you say, "How did I get here?" Now I want to jump in real quick because because okay. someone's going to hear you saying, "Well, this is a pastor talk," and he's going and like having seven day alcohol binges. Mm-mm, he's mm-mm. off sleeping with prostitutes. No, we're actually just talking about like things like doubt, <laughs> right? Not trusting right. God to be There's in charge of the world. Any um, number of things that could fit in this yes, category: right. doubt, pride, arrogance. Greed. Um, greed. And, and those are just the emotional ones. Um, even if you don't add to the emotions uh, some of the actions that come with them. Uh, sometimes I'm tempted to gossip. Mm. Um, that's an action. Um, and I find myself in the uh, the middle of uh, maybe a bout of judgmentalism. Mm. Um, and I roll my eyes and I want to say, uh, and. And dear Christians, know this. Your pastors are not immune from temptation, and your pastors are not immune from sin. And so often when we start to think about sin and sinfulness, we don't think about it in terms of um, 
of simply what the Ten Commandments says about fear and doubt and pride and arrogance and gossiping and coveting and uh, and those things because our sinful flesh is quick to say, oh, that's not a real sin. Go big or go home. Yeah. <laughs> I, I find it interesting. I do find it interesting. I don't want to validate breaking the Sixth Commandment in any way, but I find it interesting that's like the tends to be the only one we really think of as really bad. Mm-hmm. Like that one, that's bad. But the rest of it, false doctrine, eh, not a big deal. We'll get over it kind of thing, right? When that's even, the second commandment's pretty high on the list. Yeah, right. And uh, what when I get to visit with the young uh, Christians of my congregation and as they're getting ready to uh, confess their faith and receive the Lord's Supper for the first time, one of the questions that I get to ask them is, you know, of this list of the Ten Commandments, which one do you think you struggle with the most? Hmm. Or which one do you think might be mo- might be the most important one for you to think about? And what they don't know that I do is the follow-up question is always, why? Hmm. Um, and so as That's there's, a dirty pool, man. It is. <laughs> but uh, but they, they consistently blow me away with their answers. Hmm. And when... When a young Christian at the age of, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11 will look at you and say, you know, I think the ninth and the 10th commandment are really important. I think too often I don't pay enough attention to them. Hmm. And I kind of rock back in my chair with a confused look on my face. And then I say, well, why is that? And they say, if you want what God didn't give you, you've got real problems. And I find myself doing that all the time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah, pass. Good. Wow. Way to go. From the mouth of babes. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Absolutely. And so I'm uh, when I get to hear those kinds of things, um, so often we want to focus on the the sins that look really bad, kind of the, the the nasty sins. But how often are you tempted with um adultery mm-hmm. in its fullest form? But more often we're tempted with lust or simply not being happy with what God gave us or with thinking that we know better than God. And when when the door to sin is cracked just a little bit, all of a sudden it starts to, to rush in and push the door farther and farther open. And then you find yourself in a scary, scary place. And that's when God's law comes and God's law begins to always accuse. I think we tend to be in a, in a situation where something like lust, although again, lust, we think that one's worse for some reason when they're, it's, it's bad, but it's not the only bad, but we have this kind of approach that, well, if it's in my heart, if it's not getting out, I can kind of, I can kind of pet that sin. It's kind of my I friend's can manage sin. It. Yeah, I can manage it. Right. And so let's, let's just set aside lust for a second, plenty to deal with there, but let's look at the, I really don't like that guy. Yeah. That thought, right? That's the fifth commandment. You just murdered, man. Are you kidding me? Why is that not a big deal for us? And so my problem is not that, that lust is a big deal because uh-huh. it is. It's that we've just, we've ignored the rest of them and we shouldn't. We we somehow, we somehow put lust on a, I don't want to say put it on a pedestal. pedestal that sounds of, wrong. It's kind of what it is. Though. But Whatever it is kind of what it is. the opposite of a pedestal yeah. is. <laughs> we put it in the bottom of a pit is what we do. And we say, nothing's really as bad as lust. And as long as we don't lust, or as long as we don't commit adultery, as long as we don't do that that nasty Sixth Commandment stuff, then it's okay. Mm-hmm. It, which is just a long and complicated ruse of self-justification. As long as I don't do X, lust, uh, pornography, right. uh, Whatever the case may be, as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. Anger, I probably shouldn't, but it's not. It's not like it's lust. It's not like that. I'm it's not, not like it's adultery. Right. Disrespecting my parents or disrespecting those in authority, 
yeah, I know I shouldn't do it, but it's not like it's lust or adultery. Uh, not being happy with what God gave me, well, isn't everybody just a little bit discontent? And all of a sudden we find a way to look at all of our sins and shortcut our way out of them. And when we do that, and I'm, I'm going to go back to this because I know this is exactly where we're circling today, uh, we stop the law from being the law. And we, we have this line that we come around to, uh, a great Latin line, lex semper accusat. The law always accuses. And what does the sinner always do? The sinner always tries to discount the law. And we go back to the Garden of Eden and we start asking questions just like Eve did. Did God, sorry, just like Satan did, that Eve was listening to. Mm. Did God really say? And we start to be judge over what God has given us. And so the devil says, did God really say? And Eve looked and saw that the fruit was appealing to the eye and good for food. So she took some and she ate of it. She put herself in that role of judging. And when the law comes to us, we want to look at the temptation that's been put in front of us, make a decision on our own common sense, mm -hmm. um, and we want to play God. And, and I, it never I want to bring that back to your question about serving the law of sin with my mind. That's what it's talking about. The fact that we go to the law and we try to undo it. That's how my flesh is constantly serving its sins, trying to get rid of God's word. You had a comment, well, though. Yeah, I was wondering, this, I think this is gets at the root of what makes this phrase uncomfortable and why I don't like this, because this phrase forces me to admit that I actually do those things. Mm. And we've just had an entire conversation about what it looks like when we're justifying ourselves, minimizing our sin, and trying to kind of shove it to the side and pretend that it's not really as bad as it actually is. But if I'm going to use the same phrase Paul says, which is, mm. I'm, I'm a servant to sin. I serve the law of sin. Well, now I have to openly, in the biggest way, admit I'm really bad. Right. And I don't like doing that. Yeah. I don't want to do that. So I think that that may be part of the discomfort with this. I don't like this phrase. Which it is, seems confusing. It's the pride. Yeah. Which is actually also part of serving the law of sin with your flesh is to not want evil doesn't want to admit it's evil. Yeah. Which makes it wonder if that's the entire point that this phrase is the one that's used to just poke at me. Yeah. That's, I think that's so. what scripture does. There I we think go. So. Although I do like, I like this translation of the hymn, Chief of Sinners Though I Be, Peter Ill is Worse Than Me. That's that's the... And I'm not going to say that you're wrong, for the record. <laughs> but, but that is that very same kind of try to get ourselves off the mm -hmm. hook yep. idea that we have. Um, well, yeah, I have my sins because everybody's a sinner. And, and to say everybody's a sinner is a true statement, yeah. but how often do we use the phrase, everybody's a sinner, and we use ourselves. it to, not even quite to justify ourselves, but to make us not look so bad. Yeah. I'm just another one yeah. of these sinners. I don't have anything more to worry about than anybody else. And we try to dismiss our sin by claiming, well, it's just part of the human yeah, condition. Nobody's we perfect. We just need to get over it. Yeah. So we try to tell ourselves. So David joins in with Paul in the quotes here, and uh, Melanchthon picks it up. David says in Psalm 143, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. And then Melanchthon comments, Here even God's servant prays for the removal of judgment. So David both confesses that he's a Christian, that he's in, that he's in Christ, that he's under God's providence or care or, or in faith, and also in the same moment admits, 
I'm also under God's judgment. So it's it's kind of an interesting language for the saint and sinner reality. But why is Melanchthon bringing this up to show you know David in faith says this. It takes and this is we we were talking about this last week too with this bit about the good I do not want to do. It takes Christian faith to believe this about our flesh. The the pagan the the unbeliever does not believe this about their flesh. They can't. They can't confess. I'm actually a poor, miserable sinner with no hope of justifying myself. Yeah, this is part of that faith, which um, we were having a lunch conversation earlier and just briefly came up the where we confess, I cannot by my own mm-hmm. reason or strength believe. Even this idea that I'm as bad a sinner as I am is something that I believe. It is not something that I can necessarily be convinced of because my hmm. very flesh works against convincing me of that and is going to come up with all these reasons why I'm not actually that bad. And so even this is a matter of this must be revealed to me in scripture. Look, you're really this bad and I must believe it. You ever catch yourself saying, I can't believe I did that again. Like I've I've caught myself saying that and then thought, (laughs) I pause it. Wait a minute. That's the problem. Yeah. Is I can't believe it, right? God's like, well, I knew it was coming. You dumb, dumb fool. You know, I believe it. Yeah. Nothing. Nope. <laughs> that's great. Uh, I actually have one thing to go back to what Peter was saying before. All right. Um, and that's this. Our, our translation here of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession talks about how uh, we serve. Uh, you can, on the one hand, serve God, or on the other hand, serve sin. But I did go back to my Greek New Testament and check it. It's not even, I serve sin. It's, I am I am Slave. enslaved to sin. Yeah, yeah. And We've so it softened has it up a little bit, maybe. Actually, I think it does the opposite. No, we oh, we've oh, we have it. we yeah. have right. Yeah. Uh, because it's one thing to say, "I serve sin, and I can come and go as I please." It's another thing to say, "I am enslaved to sin. I, I am out of control in regards to my sinfulness, and even when I want to, I cannot stop." Yeah. And and but that is exactly the truth of it. Uh, and when we hear people say, "Well, I'm not really that much of a sinner." we end up denying the enslavedness of our sin and our sinfulness. And if you're not that much of a sinner, well, how much of a savior do you really need? Bingo. <laughs> nice. Exactly. I don't need that much of a savior either. Right. Yeah. Because I can fix it myself. Thank you very much. Or if I'm not that much of a sinner. Start on it. I yeah. mean, come on. I've got to put a good faith effort in. <laughs> I'm not very evil. Mm. I mean, at what point, I mean, how, what's your judge of good then? I mean, how, what is your, 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 what is good if a little evil isn't enough to not be good anymore? Right? Which one swings it further the other way, I guess is another way of saying that. Or um, how much uh, fecal matter from your dog could I put in some brownies and you're cool eating the brownies still? I had that conversation with my daughter yesterday. Right. I mean, it's yeah. a great example of false teaching in the first place, but also just with our sin. How much? You won't taste it if it's just a little bit. But we all know, intuitively and instinctively, uh, even a tiny, tiny, tiny bit is too much. It was a doctrinal conversation, yes. Pastor Hill. We were not discussing making actual brownies. Okay, okay. Sorry. You know, here's the thing. I love Tuesday afternoons because we get together and Pastor Fisk and, and Peter Slayton do their best to render pastors speechless, which which is a, just a wonderful game to play, I guess. All right. I think we should probably uh, return to the text, though, and, and continue bearing on. I, okay. Or not yet. But I, I want to dwell on this idea oh, okay. and make sure that, that that image comes across. How much evil does it take before you're actually evil? So if you say, I'm not that much of a sinner, you're saying, I'm not that evil. Okay, well, then then what is, when does evil become actually evil? Since just a little bit's not enough. And on the flip side, then, well, how much good do you need to, to change 
someone who is evil. Since I do have evil in me, how can I, being evil, choose to be good again? And the answer is, it just can't be done. A little evil's all the evil, and there's only one thing to do with it, is to kill it. Period. Now, the crazy thing is God did that in Jesus on the cross for you. That just flips everything on its head. Yep. And I think that as we sit here, you know, the Tuesday after Trinity Sunday, we get to bask for just a little bit in the glow of the Athanasian Creed. And and the Athanasian Creed has two wonderful parts. Um, I'm, I'm getting looked at like I'm about to be in trouble. I'm just laughing and wondering if that was something someone said to you on the way out of church on Sunday. I'm sure it was. Pastor, thank you for letting us bask in the glow of the Athanasian Creed this week. <laughs> Actually, um, three people I'm said very, that. Yeah. I'm very thankful that we confess it, but I've never... I didn't get I didn't to realize it Sunday. glowed. Um, I, actually, I did have people who uh, did approach me and say thank you for yeah. uh, letting us uh, confess the, the Athanasian Creed. And then uh, one person did point out to me that I, I preached the longest sermon that I have preached in this pastorate, uh, wow. which, which is true. Um, On the same day you confess the creed, it's like an extra two minutes. Yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to let him actually answer anything. <laughs> no. This is horrible. His mic okay. is on, I promise. Yeah, it is. So... Um, when we got to confess the Athanasian Creed, and and when we continue to get to do this, as we look at what is good, um, we we make this confession of faith that there is uh, a Trinity in unity and a unity in Trinity, and there is one Lord and one God, not three, co-eternal, co-equal, and so on. But then, for how we see the good the good is established not by our understanding of how God relates within himself, mm. because we can't figure that out. Mm -mm. But instead, we observe what goodness is based on the incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. And it is there that we have our fullest understanding of who God is. The sermon that I preached this Sunday, um, I didn't actually write myself. I guess I cheated. Um, plagiarized. Uh, not plagiarized. Good. They put it in a book so I could photocopy it. it was very <laughs> kind of um, I got to preach a sermon by uh, by Dr. Norman Nagel. Oh, nice. Um, and one of the things that he invited us to do in the sermon was uh, he started with the question, what's God like? Everybody kind of sat there and thought for a second. And as Dr. Nagel can, uh, continued in the sermon that I got to preach, he said, no, imagine for a second that you were a grasshopper wrapped up in the hand of a person. You would only know two things. One, that the thing that has you in its hand is a whole lot more powerful than you are. And that you're in a whole lot of trouble. Mm. The only way that you could understand the nature of humanity, if you were a grasshopper, would be if a human made himself a grasshopper and came to you and said, this is what we're all about. Maybe you're like, that's my grasshopper language. I'm not sure what that is. I'm rubbing my arms like the wings, right? Hey, Pastor Fisk, this is radio. We're not on video today. Yeah. So, but that's exactly what God has done. He has, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he has condescended, come down to us, assuming the humanity into His divinity to show us what God is like. And so we ask the question: What is good? Jesus is good. Mm. What is God like? 
Jesus reveals to us the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. So there is nothing to be afraid of because our sin is put away and forgiven and atoned for in Jesus Christ. And so that's exactly what we end up focusing on in this entire conversation. That's such a marvelous example, the the grasshopper and the human thing, because like even if the grasshopper who came down and incarnated as a grasshopper, the human who incarnated as a grasshopper told a, a grasshopper about what humanity was really like, the grasshopper would have no way of really comprehending that, which is exactly what you know the Athanasian Creed is at pains to, to sh- show us is, yep, we know this about God, but you know, I got me. I don't, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> now, that, know now that I've said what the Bible says, what does that mean? Mm, yeah, uh, Jesus. Jesus. Jesus exactly. on the yep. cross. Yep. It's so, still not about the knowledge that I can understand and grasp. It's still about Jesus for me. I know this God through the man who came and did these things. So that it would be said truly, more verses proving uh, the, the point about our need for justification. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. That's again David from Psalm 32, and a great psalm. Go check it out sometime. Therefore, in our weakness, sin is always present, which could be charged against us. A little while after, he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you. And that's the end of the same psalm there, which is to say, since I got this sin, maybe I should like say, Lord, have mercy. Maybe that's how I should approach things. Not as in, you know, God, give me this, please, and I'll give you, but but Lord, have mercy. Here he shows that even saints, and that's this is the point too, even a Christian, even somebody who has repented and believed the gospel, even someone who is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit still needs to seek the forgiveness of sins. They, this is the opponents now, are more blind, more than blind, who do not realize that wicked desires in the flesh are sins. And he's going to quote Paul again there, but that's kind of getting back to this point. You were mentioning earlier, Pastor Hale, about the, you know, the heart sins, the thought sins, they, they truly are sins. And anyone who doesn't recognize that and thinks, oh, I can be tempted to murder. Like I think, man, I want to kill that guy. But that's that's okay. That's safe. That's perfectly safe. That's not I didn't really actually sin. do it. So yeah, it's okay. I only thought about it. Yeah. Um, and how often does your? Uh, how often maybe does a child say, "But I didn't actually push him. Yeah. I just wanted to. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that doesn't make it okay. No. That's. I mean, what we're talking about here. We haven't used the word yet, but this is concupiscence. Exactly. Yes. I was there about it is. To we're going for our ten dollar theological word of the day: concupiscence. Explain it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, What's well, concupiscence, that's, sir? <laughs> Well, pastors, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, please shot, do. Um, well, this actually comes up in the Augsburg Confession. It's mm-hmm. one of the points that the the papists took issue with is that we say concupiscence, this this state of being in which we find ourselves. The it, it, concupiscence is original sin. Mm-hmm. So that's one way of putting it. And this is actual sin that we are actually accountable for um, in our very nature. And then you start dividing a little bit, not. As God originally created us, this is the broken, passed down from Adam nature that we now retain. But even this inclination, this tendency towards sin that we have, this concupiscence, is sin itself. Um, so like you said, that's the, I didn't actually push him. Yeah, but the fact that you were tempted, that you mm-hmm. were temptable, that you could have conceived of that, yeah, that's actually sin right there. And here's where we can start to make some some pastoral application and some some spiritual application of this is people who say, um, I struggle with a desire to do this or that thing, um, whatever this or that thing may be. Um, some people talk about struggling with homosexual attraction or heterosexual attraction or um, wanting to. They're on the sixth commandment again, just like that. How easy it or, is. Yep. Ho- ho- 
but but this this one actually comes around pretty mm-hmm. often because people will try to uh, because it's still a real a because bit. it's still a real bad thing. We still feel guilty about it. I think the point I, I want to hear what you have to say because I think it's going to be really valuable. But kind of the point is, how often does someone say, "Well, I've really been struggling with greed lately"? Like we're not even convicted about mm-hmm. that anymore, right? Right. But but you're well. The point is, when you are convicted, when when you're confronted, I'll start yeah. with uh, this desire to. Um, uh, to have some kind of a relationship that God has not called you to have with somebody, mm. then uh, you might want to say, but I didn't actually do something bad. Maybe you might even go to your pastor and say, Pastor, I I was really struggling with temptation, uh, but you know what? I didn't give in. And your pastor says, well, do you confess your sin and are you ready to hear God's forgiveness? And you say, but I didn't fall into sin. Yeah. And And your pastor may be well to say to you, but you just said you wanted to. You just said you weren't content with what God has given you. Mm. And you say, yeah, but I didn't actually do anything. But it's that very concupiscence that is in and of itself sinful. And we are so quick to try to dodge the depth of our sinfulness by saying, but I didn't actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and uh, and that's when uh, your pastor simply points out to you, but you wanted to break God's law. You weren't happy with living how God has called you to live. You showed your discontent uh, to God and, and before the world in this way, and that's not good. And the, you the, need to uh, you need to repent and be forgiven, even for that sin that just happened within your head and within your heart. Mm, yep. I was say maybe concupiscence. Sorry, I jumped in. Go. A tendency toward evil is in fact evil. Who's going to rescue you from that body of death? It's our Lord Jesus Christ. Concord Meadows coming back. Worldwide KFUO salutes our day sponsors on this Tuesday, June 13th, 2017. Today's day sponsors are David and Christine Gardner. Today's day sponsors have made a contribution to Worldwide KFUO in loving memory of Christine's parents, George and Doris Geiser, on their wedding anniversary, which is tomorrow, June 14th. Once again, we say thank you to David and Christine Gardner of St. Peter's, Missouri, today's Worldwide KFUO Day sponsors. Most of my family, they never graduated high school, so I'm trying to break that barrier. My daughter, Brooklyn, was also a motivation for me to go back to school. Every day after work, went straight to school, and it paid off. At age 26, Kareem finished his high school diploma. I could not have done it alone. I see the future is really bright for me. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. KFUO embracing today's technologies to bring the good news message of Christ to the world. Listening to Worldwide KFUO on the go with your smartphone doesn't mean you have to walk around with earbuds all day. You can Bluetooth or sync up to listen in your car while driving anywhere. There are many easy ways to listen to WorldwideKFUO.org. On the air, online, and on demand, the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO. Bubba Watson now looking 
at a putt to win. PGA golfer Bubba Watson is known for his larger-than-life personality, to say nothing of his unique and winning style on the course. And as one of golf's more prominent social media communicators, he tweets thousands of inspirational messages. In 2011, right before the final round of the Masters, he tweeted, No matter what happens today, good or bad, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice, quoting Philippians 4.4. Earlier in his career, Watson has said his temper would have kept him from seeing the good from the bad. He said, I have this competitive fire going on the course. When CBN asked what inspired some of his breakthrough moments, Watson said, I read my Bible and get key thoughts like, don't worry about this shot you've blown off the first tee. The Bible is my mental coach now. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. Listen to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. We are the messenger of good news. I'm in house with Pastor Peter Ill, Angelican is dogmatic desertions and pastor of Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstead, Illinois. Mr. Peter Slayton subtly reigning over the social media of the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod. You can always find him online, anywhere you look, just about. And myself, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, I am a on-air personality here at Worldwide KFUO, trying to do my best to keep the gospel on the airwaves for you every single day, both in the morning with his time from 7 to 9, but also every every few Tuesdays here with Concord Matters, looking at the text of the Apology of the Augsburg Confession and finding our unity in our knowledge that we are servants of sin. Oh, my. What an interesting place Slaves to start. To Slaves sin. to sin. Slaves to sin. That we are concupiscent. And again, uh, Peter Slayton, you had such a, a good answer about concupiscence. You know, the summary that I always try to give is is, is a tendency toward evil. It's a yeah. tendency toward evil. Given two choices. The very inclination itself. I will pick the selfish one, ultimately. Given yep. two choices. Even if I pick a good choice, it's going to have a selfish reason. And that's the very thing which I look forward to most not having in the life of the world to come. Oh my goodness, to just pick things for other people and be free to do it? I can't even imagine what it's like. One of the, thing, one of the things I always like to emphasize as we're going through the Augsburg Confession, the Apology, the Book of Concord in general is the the relevance to where we're at today because sometimes that can be hard to make those connections, sometimes it's easier. I think this is one of those places where it's really easy to make this connection. So we just read the phrase, uh, paragraph 48, they are more than blind who do not realize that wicked desires in the flesh are sins. And I think of... Our culture today, particularly here, Western culture, American culture, with this idea of uh, do what feels good, follow your heart. Um, if it feels good, it must be good. You know, that whole sort of thing. It's like, okay, look, if you have a proper understanding of concupiscence and this inclination towards sin, that sort of a phrase will never even leave your mouth or that that thought that if it feels good, it must be good. In fact, if it feels good, it might just be proof that it's wrong, depending. I mean, not, it's not that it's God not didn't create good feelings. It's not quite a one-to-one, but, but man, yeah. 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 <laughs> and every once in a while, we bump into that situation where we hear somebody say, um, I know that God loves me and wants me to be happy, so mm. I'm sure that he approves of my fill-in-the-blank. Right. And when we hear that kind of a thing, indeed, God does love us, yes. Indeed, God does want us to be happy, yes. But he doesn't leave it up to us to determine what creates our happiness. 
Instead, he gives us in the words of Holy Scripture and in the person of his beloved son, Jesus Christ, true happiness, true contentment, true joy and peace. And so it is in Christ that we find those things. And we don't say, I need uh, this or that life choice, or I need this or that thing. I need I need um, my own desires. I need my own security in the world. No, we say, I have my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that is where joy is found. Other people might not think that joy is found in Christ, and they may not see my but joy if, in Christ. But if I'm a Christian, Pastor Hill, and, I, and I, I, I believe in Jesus, but man, I don't really feel real happy. I feel like life's kind of hard. See, that's, that's how people hear that kind of thing though right sure. they take it they take it and then they they run with it into some sort of prosperity or abundant sure. life now thing and so for me the question does god want you to be happy when because the answer is yes he does he wants me to be happy like eternally in jesus and it's not going to happen now and part of him bringing me to the then of the last day is not letting me be happy now because if he lets me be happy now my flesh has got to be happy too and that's a bad thing and when we talk about what Scripture says, and I'm going to drill down and be a little bit technical here, uh, especially, say, in the Beatitudes, mm -hmm. uh, in those blessings that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5, he doesn't say, you will be happy when, or happy are those, uh, mm -hmm. or even any kind of lucky are those, but rather he says, blessed mm -hmm. are those. And so it's not so much that God loves me and wants me to be happy. It is that God loves me and blesses me. Mm -hmm. And so it's not up to me to determine my happiness or my blessings, but it is up to God to declare to me what those blessings are. And fundamentally, the greatest and chief blessing that you have is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that God has put on you. And so that's exactly where we run and turn. So we might not uh, be as inclined to say, I know that God loves me and wants me to be happy as much as to say, I know that God loves me and has blessed me in Christ. Mm. And while there are most certainly days when I don't feel blessed in Christ because Jesus said, uh, the son of man has no place to lay his head mm. and take up your cross and follow me, which certainly doesn't sound happy or warm or fuzzy, but it is exactly what Jesus has given to us. And he still says, you are blessed even in the taking up of your cross and, and the following. And that, that gets me. to so much of what I, I totally agree. That it gets to so much of what I'm trying to get at is that the, the blessing in the present more than my happiness is my faith. And Bingo. in the moment when I'm not happy is precisely when my faith alone must stand on the promises that Christ is sufficient for that. In the moment when my flesh is most upset because I'm not getting what I want is the moment that God's declaration by faith alone is received as the better thing, right? And, and it, that just doesn't coincide with me being happy, happy, happy all the time. I think God did build happiness into creation. It's certainly part of the Christian life. You're free to have a good time, you know, within the realm of the law and all that, right? Uh, but but it, it, it just, it is no substitute for the comfort of the gospel, just in any way, shape, or form. So sorry, that's a, that's a burr in my crotch, I suppose, there. So... Is that, oh, is that a bad thing to say? Burr in my bonnet? That's what I wanted to say. Okay. You must have said craw. Craw. Burr yeah. in your craw. craw. That shows yeah. you how. Which I think is still mixing metaphors because it's really a burr in uh, your saddle. It's usually a burr in your What's saddle. What's a craw? Yeah. It, it, 
your head? Oh, he thought it was no. the stomach. Stomach? The, uh, <laughs> oh, man. The craw, the craw is the part of a bird where the digestive comes up. Yep, yeah. Yeah, Do- yeah. Dogmatic discussion at its best. Concord <laughs> matters. Where is the craw? Quick, go to commercial. Go to commercial. Yeah, no. Anyway, oh, my goodness. So, uh, all right. I kind of I kind of jumped in on the uh, pastoral. You got any more you want no, to add? Everything to you said is exactly what I was hoping you would say. Oh, that's Great. wonderful. Um, so, and he drives us then to Galatians chapter 5. They are more than blind who do not realize realize that wicked desires in the flesh are sins, of which Paul says, Galatians 5, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And this again, simul justus et peccator, simultaneously saint and sinner. I have within me an old man who desires everything wrong all the time. And I have within me a new man who is awakened by the Holy Spirit of God, driven by God's word. And God's word and God's spirit desires the right all the time. And they are they're at war within me. And I'm helpless in this war in one sense, but thanks be to God, the valiant one fights for me. Right. And just about half a dozen verses in Galatians 5 after this, after 5.17, where he's quoting from where he talks about how the sins of the flesh are against the spirit. Paul goes on to talk about what the fruit of the spirit is. Mm -hmm. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. And so he has kind of, on the one hand, you see what sin leads you into. And on the other hand, you see what the spirit brings to you. You see those, those blessings that the spirit provides. Um, and while he doesn't quite talk about happiness, he talks about joy and contentment and patience, mm-hmm. even in the midst of what hmm. human sense and human desire would say isn't good. The fruit of the spirit far overcomes these desires of the sinful flesh. And I think that uh, when when you're starting to think with Galatians 5 and live with Galatians 5, you hear this about uh, the desires of the flesh and you can't hear Galatians 5 without going but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness I really want to break out in song uh, from when I was (laughs) in Lutheran school chapel Um, but I won't subject anybody to that today The mic's open, man. I, <laughs> it's not karaoke, Concord Matters. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's so, not a good idea. I'm going to take issue again, and, and I do this. People who, who, who listen to me know I do this all the time. I think joy is a word that in English has just been totally destroyed. It's come to mean happiness. And it, so I'm fine with going to the fruit of the Spirit because it's, uh-huh. it's what the Holy Spirit works in us. But the love... The, the comfort. The word joy has as its root the, the alleviation of discomfort, which doesn't mean you're happy. And, and the image that, that I always <laughs> tell as a little story, I always remember as a young man, very young, little boy, I had some pretty severe uh, hay fever allergies, like beyond what most people have. I couldn't, literally couldn't breathe through my nose. It was just bad. And there was one time when I had a reaction that was so bad that my entire body turned purple. It was itching everywhere. It was awful. I thought I was going to die. My mom thought I was going to die. She threw me in a bathtub. <laughs> and, and I was in the bathtub to get whatever was on my skin off the off my skin, right, that was making me turn purple. And, it, I, it, oh, man, it was just, I remember it still painful, awful. But I also remember about 30 minutes later being out, kind of watching TV, got my towel on. You know, I'm like eight or whatever. And, and, and like, this moment in which I didn't hurt as bad as I just had moments before. And even though I wasn't all better, it was this moment of, relief. Mm. And that is kind of what if you do a word study on the karas of, of, of joy in the Bible, you get you get that edge. It's, it's the lifting of the burden, which is just so different from happy 
right? So different from happy. It's not that there's no good feeling in it. Sure, there's some good feeling in it, but it's it's just a very different edge. And then I also, I'm going to give you a hard time here. People always stop with gentleness. Why? Why do we forget Everybody self forgets self-control? I was going to say that, but I chose not to. Yeah. <laughs> okay. The, the reason is because I still... To remember all the fruit of the spirit, have, have to, to bring out in song. Have, I have to, to sing, sing it. Song. But this brings so. us to the point you were kind of going to bring up before that we went to the break there uh, about withholding the hand. Right, the, the part of the fruit of the spirit is not that my, it doesn't say the fruit of the spirit is you will never have a sinful thought again. It's that you will control yourself in the midst of the thoughts that you do have. Yeah, at the very least, you won't let that sin spill out to hurt your neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not perfectly. Sure. But well, th- that's I, the that's the that's the fruit of the, the, when the spirits at work within you. There is a dampening to your sin, boiling out over you in every direction. I, I think one of the things that we always our, our tendency, once again, our fleshly tendency, even as we hear the fruit of the spirit, is um, especially you know we talked a couple of weeks ago about you know me growing up as an evangelical. The fruit of the spirit was taught back then as something that you were supposed to do. Like right. you kind of had to Get work there. this up. And I think one of the things that's helpful as you describe joy as, as either comfort or the lifting of the burden, it makes it a little clearer at least that it's not something I can do. Mm-mm. I can't lift this burden mm-hmm. off my back. Somebody else has to do it for me, but I reap the benefits of that. And I, experience the the benefits of that. Um, the fruit of the Spirit are very much in that same way. I can't look at it as love. Okay, what do I have to do to be loving? No, the, we look at it, what has Christ done to love, and that frees you for the, the Spirit to work through you th- and to th- be Think loving. about the language itself. Who's it the fruit of? Me? Yeah. I mean, am I involved in being patient when I'm patient? Yes. I participate in that reality that the Spirit works within me, but who is the author of this fruit? It's not me. At the end of the day, I'm, I can just say I'm a worthless servant, right? Thanks be to God, he made me patient. And, by the way, I want to bring up patience, too, because talk about another one, no one really wants patience. No <laughs> one really wants that fruit. My mom always told me it was a virtue, but I don't think, I, I think it just meant be quiet and listen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to smear your mom, but it kind of meant, meant I'm out of it, right? You should have patience like I'm kind of out of patience. Something like that. Or or I'm ready to talk, so you just need to exactly. pipe down back there. Exactly. I mean, these fruits are things that we... I don't want to get, get it wrong either. We should pursue these as we are able. We, we are we are here with the Spirit at work in us by the Word. We, and when the Word instructs us in the way we to go, we are to, we are to seek that thing. It is still God's will for our lives. Yes, Come, exactly. Keep coming back to and, that. Yep. And I, I think, though that it's helpful as we talk about this this broad field of sanctification, of how it is that God makes us holy. Uh, one of the greatest r- scriptural passages and writings on sanctification really is the Lord's Prayer, where we pray... Amen, brother. Where we, Preach it. Well, I, I'm about to. Um, <laughs> where we pray that, first, God's name is holy, hallowed, and then as we go on from God's name being hallowed, we say... Your name is hallowed. You are holy. Bring your kingdom here. Bring your will here. Do in me what needs to be done. Make this place around me and your church here, your world here, yeah, this holy. Us. Uh, yeah, put it yeah. put it here yeah. because it isn't up to me uh-huh. to make me holy. 
And this is where, when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, especially what what they call the holiness churches, churches that teach that you can get pretty close, if not all the way, to being holy, they will they will grab onto this and they will say, we need to be more about the fruit of the Spirit. And, and we need to come up with a, an intentional plan to do the fruit of the Spirit and... And we need to do that, and we need to show that we have a Spirit-filled life. Is there a 12-step program for developing the fruits of the Spirit in your life? It probably is. That's uh, I, don't... I say that snarkily, but as I think about it, there probably Maybe is Maybe not a 12-step, but there, 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 there uh, is something. Uh, yeah. There are seven-week sermon series on it. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's quite the same, but uh, nonetheless... <laughs> Um, and, and I'm not against, for the record, I'm not against seven-week sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, that is certainly a good thing. I, I, I want to jump into those things which are the works of the flesh. Because as soon as, as, soon as you say, I'm going to get me some more fruit of the Spirit, I mean, that is a work of the flesh. It is to deny the source from which this comes. It's one thing to say, I would like more. Dear Lord, please give us more. Uh, the, the and list and is... you've located that just right. And I, I want to pause for yeah. a second because so often if we want to drive our sanctification, we're doing it wrong. We in and of ourselves are not holy. It is God who makes us holy. It is God who justifies us. It is God who fills uh, us with his so holiness. Good. And so let, let's not... When it comes to sanctification, there's always this temptation amongst us sinners to say, justification is what God does for me. Sanctification is what God and I do together. And mm. I think that's I think that's well-intentioned, but not quite square with what you Scripture says. You bring up says. the Lord's Prayer is so awesome because the first act of holiness is to realize I don't have it. And, and, and we're back to saying, <laughs> I believe be that I, I cannot by my own yeah. reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord. We're simply saying about God what he says about himself. He's holy. So we say that back to him and then we say, and bring your holiness here because we sure do need it. Well, we're talking about Galatians 5 and I can't remember if it's immediately before or immediately after these two lists, but Paul says, Having begun in the spirit, are you going to be perfected in the flesh? Yeah. No, that's silly. And it's right there in the exact same passage, exactly what we're talking about. This, If we start talking about this cooperation as if I'm helping out and, partic- and contributing some significant part or even a small and significant part, look, Paul right away addresses that and says, no, oh, so good. you are not perfected in the flesh. You're not even continuing in the flesh. Stop thinking that. Yeah, my, my tendency to evil is rooted in my having once been good in Adam and thinking I could be better without God, and that desire to be good without God remains. So rather than trusting that he would do it for me, I keep seeking ways to do it for myself because, paragraph 49, the flesh within me distrusts God, right? That's that's the heart of the matter. We don't believe he's even capable, let alone wants to do this for us. It trusts in present things, seeks human aid in every trouble, even contrary to God's will. It flees from suffering which, and, and seeking happiness instead often, which it ought to bear because of God's commands. It doubts God's mercy. And if you don't know that, I, I'm, I'm glad, I guess, if you don't know that, but that's just such a common Christian reality, and we don't speak about it enough to doubt God's mercy toward you and so on. The Holy Spirit in our hearts fights against such tendencies, I might just add, by the word preached, in order to suppress and kill these tendencies and produce new spiritual motives. Faith. We will collect more testimonies below about this topic, although they are clearly everywhere, not only in the scriptures, but also in the Holy Fathers. I mean, it, it hey, is the center of Christianity. We get a little snarky Melanchthon yeah, back here. It's the truth. It's the truth. Um, but I do want to go back for just a second to um, this point about how 
our sin, uh, doubts God's mercy, and so on. Yeah, right. And we end up, how often are you even tempted to say, or am I tempted to say, but God isn't going to continue to be merciful to me about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the devil will come to me with my habitual sins, just as he comes to lots of Christians with their habitual sins. You were a judgmental jerk again. How long is God really going to be patient with mm-hmm. you yeah, exactly. you know, over that? And we start to and we start to say, maybe I'm going to run out of God's mercy. Mm-hmm. Maybe He's going to stop his promises to me. Maybe what he said in scripture was true to a point, but is going to stop being true. And we start to have that very concern. And to that, we hear the grace and the loving kindness of God, our savior, the very one who became our sin so that he would also be our righteousness. And so we continue to look to our Lord Christ crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. There is no end of God's mercy, his grace, and his love, as much as we would like to, uh, as much as our sinful flesh would like to say, I don't know. And, and strangely seek freedom through its own destruction. I mean, that's that's how backwards and curved inward this this uh, tendency toward evil is. Because part of it wants to, if, if my flesh can get me to stop believing that God will have mercy on me, my flesh is back in charge, right? So it's, it's kind of its final out. It's the last gasp. There's a, there's a book called Moby Dick, and there's a movie called Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. They both end the same way, in which, in which the enemy— Spoiler alert. Spoiler yeah, the, alert. The, the, the angry, vindictive—how uh, do I say this? Um, uh, vengeful individual has these wonderful lines. Uh, they're horrible, but they're, they're wonderful. They, they summarize our flesh. Uh, with my last breath, I stab at thee for hate's sake. Yeah, That is your own flesh against you to the day that you die. Again, who's going to rescue you from this? This is why it's so good that in the battle between flesh and spirit, you're not the spirit. No, the yeah. Holy Spirit is. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is. The Word of God is. That's why the, the Word of God is so valuable. If but, your only hope comes from within you, you are in deep trouble. Thanks be to God. And, and Martin Luther spoke a lot about this. The the extra nose, the outside of us God who comes to, to save us, the one who is outside of us and the one who is for us. Uh, Thanks be to God that he comes from outside to redeem us, not that we have to work it up from inside ourselves to make ourselves holy. We're not going to get to that uh, today, but the next, talking about the God outside of us, the next two, the next page, 10 times the phrase for Christ's sake Mm. is used. Um, And I'm only bringing that up because that's the perfect segue as we're talking about, okay, well, what is it then? Where do we locate this? And um, in, in, Previous times, the the apology and the Augsburg Confession itself focused on uh, the the troubled conscience and giving comfort to the troubled conscience of the Christian. And now here in this one page, ten different times, we have the phrase "for Christ's sake." Well, actually, eight. Two of them are slightly different, but they're focusing on it's about Christ. It's about Christ. And so there is some wonderful gospel that we're going to be moving into here. Um, I don't know. Maybe in two. Maybe in two weeks, we'll get we'll get a turn at it again. But um, it's just a, it's just wonderful to see how even in the in the apology here, it's going to bring us right back to Christ again. Yeah, for Christ's sake, something that the world uses as a curse a lot, right? And, yeah. And yet, the heart 
of what Christianity really is. It, when, when something goes wrong and you want to say, I don't actually usually have this one come up. I have different uh, curses that come out of me. But, you know, for Christ's sake, the, that's actually the correct thing to say. <laughs> it's just said without faith. Is blasphemy, but but in faith, I mean, when you stab your thumb with your hammer, stab who stabs a thumb with a hammer? When you smash your thumb <laughs> with a hammer, it's like getting something caught in your craw. Um, <laughs> when you when you smash your thumb with your hammer, there is there is the negative, but there, there for for Christ's sake, Lord, have mercy, right? Or or good Lord, I think Luther even teaches us in the large catechism to teach our children to say good Lord. Whenever they see something bad happen, but he doesn't mean that the way most people say it, right? He, he yeah. actually means like, no, you're supposed to cry out, "Good Lord, have mercy on me for this, <laughs> for Christ's sake." It, it is the heart, heart and center of everything. We got about got about three minutes here, fellas, two and a half. So I, I keep keep saying awesome, funny <laughs> things. <laughs> Pastor Ill. Okay, I, let me get while well, while Pastor Ill gathers his thoughts here. I wanted to slightly like, different direction. Like two of them to grab. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Go well, go, one go, of go, them go, is go, still go. stuck. The the when we talk this phrase, the flesh distrusts God, trusts in present things. You know, all seeks human aid. One of the thoughts that came to mind um, is I spend a lot of time on the internet, on social media, mm-hmm. as you're all aware, and you often come across these individuals who appear to be seeking answers about the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, your your agnostic or your atheist in in particular is coming to mind right now, and usually the sticking point that they have is they want to have their reason um, assuaged is the word I'm coming up with. That's not, they, they, they wanted everything to be according to their own reason. Mm-hmm. And as Christians, um, when you get a little bit of a grasp on the discipline of apologetics, which is a good discipline, it's helpful, but we often place it in the wrong place and end up using apologetics thinking that we can actually convince this atheist, this agnostic, mm-hmm. into the faith. We try to argue people into faith, Arguing right? them into the faith. We're forgetting this individual that we're talking with, their flesh distrusts God. It trusts in present things. It seeks human aid. They are not capable, literally, of believing. But we and we, we equate understanding with believing, and that's to our detriment. So we got to be careful about that. Um, thinking of the short, pithy prayers. Uh, not, not pithy, that's not the right word. These short, meaningful prayers that are so helpful. I couldn't help but go back to the litany. Uh, and for, in case you don't, regularly use the litany, there's a couple of just great lines here of, O Lord, have mercy. Be gracious to us. Spare us, good Lord. Be gracious to us. Help us, good Lord. To remember that indeed our Lord is good and to ask for his help, to ask that he would continue to defend us from all manner of evil, be it from the natural world, from the attacks of the devil, the world, and the flesh, uh, from from within ourselves, from without us, uh, to continue to beg for and ask for God's mercy because he is merciful and gracious, Mm. slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And so when our sins come against us, when the devil and the flesh and the world try to make us doubt and fear, when we start to wonder, am I ever going to be good enough? We can say, be gracious to me, spare me, good Lord. And that for is Christ's the prayer sake. of a Christian. For mm. Christ's yeah. sake, yeah. absolutely. One of the things I miss most about serving in a parish is getting to sing, to chant the liturgy, particularly the Kyrie in Divine Services 1 and 2. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. That's all fine. I love the end. Help save, 
comfort and defend us. Gracious Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amen to that. You're listening to Concord Matters on Worldwide KFUO. Got Pastor Peter Ill, Mr. Peter Slayton, and Pastor Jonathan Fisk all together having a good time learning about English words and also about who our Lord is and how for Christ's sake, you are one with us in the faith that will last forever. We'll catch you guys next time. Be a couple weeks for us as a party, but you'll have the other guys next week here on Conquer Matters. Rock on.